0: Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Screen Looking, a podcast where close friends take a closer look at their favorite video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar, and this is episode 16, Games of the Decade. First and foremost, I'd like to wish all of our friends and listeners, new and old, uh, a happy new year and a happy, great start to this new decade, 2020. Thank you for tuning in. We hope everyone had a chance to play some games and we hope everyone maybe got sweet game or two yourself as a gift with me on the threshold of this new decade, staring directly into the dawn of 2020 and now into a pair of microphones is my dear friend and co-host Alex Koval. Alex, how's how's your decade going so far? How's your new year?
1: uh it's going pretty good so far um salutations friends and listeners of the show yeah i'm staring directly into the dawn of the new decade i feel like uh feel like aragorn at the end of the two towers when he looks up the <laughs> hill and see, sees gandalf coming over and it's looking pretty glorious 2020 looks like it's going to be a good year of gaming so I'm definitely super pumped
0: yeah any games in particular this decade that's this feels like it's almost tailor-made for you this this next quarter
1: Oh man, quarter one 2020 is just getting it started on the right foot. It's just a tr- nostalgia train coming at you full force with Final Fantasy 7 remake and Resident Evil Three remake. Two oh, yeah. games that defined my childhood. I am so jazzed that they get they're getting brought into the uh, into the modern gaming experience for yeah. all these new players.
0: Yeah, like the last decade too. I just feel very very lucky that we got to see pretty much all the games that we had ever ever would have wanted to get remade get remade it was always this big wish list that seemed totally impossible but then you get that re1 remake a long time ago and then i got my crash bandicoot remake and then re2 remake and now we're getting ff7 and it just keeps going and going and it's just you know 10 years ago i would have never ever thought that we would get all of this I just kind of gave up after a while
1: yeah i must have inadvertently saved a few people's lives to have gotten this amount of karmic, <laughs> like, karmic justice. Yeah. It's just what do absolutely we do? insane. What do
0: we do to deserve I don't know, it?
1: Man. I have no idea. Yeah.
0: yeah, you know. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to uh, some of those games too as we look forward into the new decade. But before we even think about doing that, we are going to look back one last time at the 2010s, and we're going to do that in uh, you know in a way that's a little bit unique to screen looking and when you and i were you know going back and forth like what would be on our list like what would we throw on it you made some pretty useful and valuable distinctions i think that would be would be great for the listeners to get a sense of like what what should they expect so what separates ours from from everything else that's out there right now
1: yeah so we decided that you know between andy and i we have played a fair amount of games and we've covered some ground that the other hasn't which is good but we also realized that you know looking at all these lists that have come out we haven't played all of these games. Um, so we just thought it would be a better idea to instead of arguing for what are our top, the top, the games that we feel are the top five best games of the decade, we thought, no, nah, dog, we got to think of something else. So <laughs> we basically are going to make the argument for five games that we feel that we, you know, A, played start to finish uh, and have beaten. And we feel both um, are our personal favorite uh top five games that have impacted us in a specific way but also games that we feel like have in one way or another made an imprint in uh, either game development or just gaming in general and there are also games that we have not covered on this podcast before so there are a lot of games that have come out in the last decade that yeah. you know, i'm sure would make our top five list or at least come close to that um and we decided we've covered those extensively, so we're going to make the case for games that we have not covered.
0: Yeah, I mean, and so we'll have each have our own five. It'll create sort of a neat collective ten. Um, we've afforded ourselves a few honorable mentions because we just felt there's some we wanted to squeak in there. And you yeah, know, let's
1: be honest, this decade has been insane. It's been there's massive. So many good games. Yeah.
0: I mean, we tend to focus too, I think, a lot on you know, there's been a fair amount of games from the mid to late '90s, of course. Uh, there's been some games from the early or late two thousands. And so this decade we've, we've covered a couple games, I think or a few games from this decade that are a little more recent. Um, but we really haven't focused on it a ton. We haven't, we don't really follow like the current new cycle of games of what's going on right, right now. Um, just cause of the nature of the show. Um, of course we'd like to do more of that, but I think this is sort of a way to f- kind of fill that chasm that we haven't quite gotten to yet. Um, these are games that I think we're on our short list in a lot of different ways for games we'd love to cover on the show and the way that we do it, but we just haven't gotten around to. And until further notice, let's start by getting into our honorable mentions. Alex, do you wanna take the honors and go first?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just dive right in. Let's do it. Um, So honorable mentions, uh, two games that I think were very close to making my top five, but just missed the bar. So my first honorable mention is Portal 2. Remember
0: when you tried to kill me twice Oh, how we laughed and laughed
1: I loved, absolutely loved this game. I think it was a game that provided one of the strongest sequels to any game that I've played in recent memory. It added a ton of gameplay mechanics, like the if you've played it, you would remember the light bridges, Mm -hmm. the uh, retractor beams, there were lens blocks, there were a whole bunch of different elements that they added that... Expanded uh, the super addictive portals of the first game. Um, they were able to build out the lore really nicely with expanding on, um, you know, Aperture Science and uh, sort of its like rundown, uh, overgrown aesthetic, which I thought was really cool. Um, they expanded the vocal performances, and in particular,ly you get some hilarious performances by Stephen Merchant as Wheatley. Um, and J.K. Simmons as yeah. Cave Johnson, the founder of Aperture Science. I'm Cave Johnson. I own the place. Um, he just kills it in this role, and just if, if there's a video game equivalent of chewing the scenery, he just does it in every <laughs> single uh, voice recording that he's in. And um, of course, Ellen McLean returns as GLaDOS Yeah, and she's always a, she's always a gem. How have you been? I've been really busy being dead you murdered me um so all of these things when paired with just an incredibly tight co-op experience that you know is new to the game um i played a lot of hours with actually our guest of last episode joe jasic uh we we both played portal 2 co-op and got into that game pretty deeply so yeah um the reason it didn't reach my top five is that you know i feel like it's a it's a very good improvement on an already excellent game Mm -hmm. in portal one you know, really, besides adding co-op, it just kind of improves the formula rather than expanding on it. So that's kind of why it just fell outside of my gotcha. top five.
0: Yeah. I mean, what a what a cast for a video game. I mean, oh, I know kind of, when right? it came out. Um, I really love too in that game how, you know, Portal was one of the first games, if not the first that really, really leaned into the whole like a voice actor or a voice acting role. Is a constant presence within the background, and that is your that is your way of interfacing with the main antagonist throughout the whole game. You don't really see them. There's this looking down on you through security cameras, and you can't get away from it. It's really, really creepy. And I think they did a great job of expanding on that with some comedic characters and some more like lore based stuff um, through Cave Johnson and Wheatley. So that was that yeah. Was really it's a cool. super
1: charming game with a really. I don't want to spoil anything, but the if you've never played it, but the ending is very. Huh. The ending is just excellent. Very, uh, you don't see it coming at all, and uh, it's just a very fitting way to end that game. I, I feel like a lot yeah. of times these games, these sorts of games, will like kind of bu- uh, bungle the climax, like the climax of the game. But this yeah. is, it was just an excellent way to end it.
0: Portal One was just a landmark game. You know, sometimes the first entries of games, if we, as we've talked about, kind of establish enough things, but they're not totally refined yet. And then it's the sequel that really brings it all together. And it's just portal one knew exactly what it was going to be when it came out. And it's, it was like an unusually short game that was so hard to follow up because it was so one and done. I mean, they really didn't need a sequel. And I think a lot of people were afraid of this one. And uh, I think it's definitely an excellent honorable mention because it really proved that you can still do a sequel. When no one thinks they need it and and achieve something really really awesome
1: hell yeah man yeah i agree what are one of your honorable mentions
0: the first one i'm gonna start with uh is a game we've already talked about a long time ago and that is kentucky route zero Ah um, uh, yes this game has literally lasted the entirety of the last decade um <laughs> which is you know for better or for worse um and i think Uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I just, while it's on my mind, it's just funny because, you know, last night we were both texting about the fact that um, Cardboard Computer, the developer, is very aggressively teasing that they're probably going to finally say something about the finale act, which we've been waiting for for so long. And Uh it's just, you know, just right on the edge of the decade, right on the precipice of it, you know, just squeaking by. But, you know, it's, really the main reason it's not on my top five it's been such an important game to me and to us and um to my relationship with hillary previous guest on the show and my partner and it just you know we just need to see that final act like i need to know where it's going i've been so invested in the story and the characters what really compelled me about this game from the start and still does is just how it delivers so many subtle life-affirming moments and revelations about just what it means to lead a fulfilling life and how your artistic world and your artistic life gets entangled with your work life or a life of labor and vice versa. And it just, you know, it speaks to a lot of things that I think are on a lot of people's minds in America right now, just being disillusioned with what you can achieve in life and the things that hold you back, things like debt, etc. cetera. Um, and it just plays with a lot of really cool conventions. Again, like we said on that episode, if you want to tune into that one you'll get all the things you need to hear about it I won't repeat them all here but I just think it's <laughs> you know it's just yeah um, it's got a lot to it
1: it feels like a yeah it feels like a visual novel um yeah and it's one of those games that like it does kind of feel ahead of its time like um I feel not looking back at it I kind of feel like some of the things that it was trying to say are sort of being said in death stranding a little bit
0: oh yeah maybe not mm-hmm. to the
1: same yeah. extent not that I've played a, a ton of that game or anything like that but having heard a little bit of conversation about it I do kind of feel like you know the the imagery of being like a delivery person and sort of trying <laughs> yeah. to like you know tie up loose ends kind of that's kind of what it feels like but yeah I Kentucky ride Zero is a game that I have a lot of admiration for and some criticisms of as well. um we won't get into those too deeply but it uh it's hard to really place a game on a top five when, you know, you're so invested in the ending of it um, and it still hasn't come yet. So I totally understand that, you know, like it, it needs to like really stick the finish, I think for it to be considered, you know,
0: Um, you know, it's a little bit bittersweet, but what's your, uh, my number, my
1: second honorable mention is Divinity Original Sin 2, um, which is a game that I just picked up actually a couple of months ago. So if you're unfamiliar uh, it is sort of an over-the-top. Uh, what is it called? Isometric, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: RPG, kind of Dungeons and dragons Dragonsy RPG. That's sort of in the vein of the old Black Isle computer r- RPGs from the early nine or from the '90s and early 2000s, such as Bouldersgate, Gate, 2, Gate Icewind Dale, and uh, Planescape Torment, which are outside of the PlayStation One uh, group of games. I would consider those like old-school Black Isle RPGs to be, like, the formative experiences of my gaming life. They just prevent... They, like... I remember staying up to like till, like, three or four in the morning uh, playing Baldur's Gate 2 and, like, not studying for my Greek finals (laughs) and my mom, like, knocking on my door and then, like, running to my bed trying to pretend (laughs) I was asleep. Divinity Original Sin is, like, the ultimate love letter to those. I just think it captures, really, the essence of those games um, where, you know, player choice really, truly matters so many different ways to solve puzzles there's um for example i had to get this ship to move it was like a living ship and i could either find this book and translate uh this ancient like language to sing to it or i could talk to this rat who could like convince it to there were just so many different ways to get this one like objective complete um and even like simple sort of character interactions are just so like rich and laced with so much like nuance and humor and it's beautifully scored the voice acting is absolutely incredible it's just like the raw talent in in this game it blows me away Mm -hmm. uh it and also like one of the things that i just thought was so cool was the combat you know it's 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 simple enough that you can really get the hang of it within probably five or six battles Mm -hmm. but it's so deep um and rich that you can i mean there are just infinite ways to handle combat c- scenarios like to give to another quick example there was this really epic fight that kind of like ended a chapter the first chapter where you're kind of you're fighting against this guy you've kind of been hunting the entire time you're fighting this guy and all of his little henchmen and it's a really like intense battle already mm-hmm. but in the middle of the battle this like giant monster erupts from the ground and like this thunderstorm starts and this this m- new like music cuts in with these like glaring trumpets the people you're fighting actually start fighting this thing because they realize it's going to kill you both. Oh, if it, wow. you know. And so, like, you are you both start attacking this giant thing. It's attacking all of you. And it's just, like, sheer chaos. Like, you don't know what's right or wrong. You just kind of have to experiment. And hmm. it's just... I, I'm just, like, blown away by it. I can't wait to get back into it, truly. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, it really, truly rewards, like, experimentation and exploration. Um yeah. I can't even imagine how much time and energy they put into it, but um yeah it's a game i would highly recommend for anybody who is an rpg fan
0: i saw that they um we should definitely play this game co-op sometime i think maybe that's that'd be a good way to play it because uh that would definitely get me into it to have a companion to play with but also it's uh it has a really cool feature i noticed that you can like when you when you go too far away from the other person i think some games force players to stay within the same window but it has this cool like dynamic split screen thing where if you go too far it just gives you your own screen and kind of cuts it in half which is really really awesome it's like a really it looks really innovative i've never seen anyone do that before it's i think a lot of people are going to copy that after seeing it but um (laughs) yeah definitely we should we should uh we should get into that together that'd be fun that'd be sweet yeah
1: yeah actually the reason it didn't break into my top five which i could actually see it doing so um was just because i haven't finished it i have put like 60 hours into it and i'm barely into uh, chapter two
0: i think there are four or five chapters so um gotcha but man but yeah, with just that incredible much incredible it already name. made it into your honorable mentions well that's impressive so what's your uh what's your number two oh, Andy, for honorable mentions aptly so i'm a little bit heartbroken that this isn't in my top five but I have my reasons, and I also don't have good enough reasons maybe, but I'm just going to say it. It's Cyanara Wild Hearts. Changed,
1: away.
0: This game is so good. Um, it's It's been aptly described uh, by the developer as a, quote, pop album video game. That's about breaking hearts at 200 miles per hour. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's it. Um, and it's just such an absolute roller coaster, figuratively and literally. It is so fast. It is such a emotional roller coaster, a mechanical roller coaster. It is just, it is just this beautiful love letter to the experience of the downward spiral of heartbreak and, and recovering from it, but also uh, a love letter to arcade video games and the history of arcade games and motifs and patterns that you might recognize throughout, it, it like manages to use every single detail at its disposal as a form of expression and it just crafts such a meaningful journey along the way that's just kind of going on in the background and once you pay attention to it, and so easy to replay this game over and over and just get back into it. Um, everything from like the music, which is so catchy and so addictive and get stuck in your head like a good pop album and any good pop album would do um so again it's like putting on a good record and just flipping it a couple times and then appreciating it and it doesn't overstay its welcome yeah i mean yeah i mean you played oh, sorry, it you know you, i mean jump in you played it yeah uh, you accidentally yeah i was it. just gonna say
1: we we like um, over christmas break i went over to andy's place and he showed me it and i was able to like pretty much beat it in one sitting yeah and i was like I mean, he had like hyped it up so much and I would watch videos like here and there. And I was like, this game can't be that good. Right. Objection. Um, But having played through it, like my mind is totally changed. Like the overall experience of going through the levels and like kind of, I don't know, it just has such a flow to it. It really does yeah. feel like a playable soundtrack Um, does actually have this really nice message of overcoming, you know, one of the most difficult things I think we overcome as, genuine heartbreak yeah. you know, over a loved one. Yeah. And I was really moved by the end of that game. And actually whenever I, I sometimes listen to the album on Spotify. And whenever uh the final song comes on, um, you know, Wild Hearts Never Die, like I actually think back to when I played that level and yeah. how moving it was. Like it, it's imprinted in my brain, really.
0: I mean, to that point, it the art direction is stunning. It is the game's identity as much as the music. Um it's one of the most confident looking, feeling directed games I mean in terms of how the camera moves around you it is just so graceful and confident and uh, effortless Um, it marries two of my favorite things which are video games and music so win-win right there of course uh, you know everything in this game again is purposeful it's there for a reason some people might write it off might write off the -the on-the-rails experiences like oh it's too you know streamlined for you it's kind of uh, too arcadey in a way but I think you know that's like every arcade game is on the rails And technically it's moving you in a direction you kind of have to react to what's happening around you. Um, Why isn't it on the list at this point? I don't fucking know, honestly. Um, (laughs) But I think the reason is really just because of recency bias. I'm, I'm so many of the games on our list. I think we sat with for a long time and played very deeply and they affected us and we got to think about them. And so I just felt like it came almost right after I thought up of my list, but a game farther down the line did all these things for me in a very different way a long time ago. So with that, I think we're ready to jump into our our top 10, our top fives each. All right, let's do it. Okay, Alex, do the honors. Give us your number five. All right, right, my number five is
1: actually probably my deepest cut on this list. Um, It's a smaller game. It's a quieter game. It is on my list for being one of the most narratively tight affecting games that I've played this decade. It actually, the ending actually moved me to tears. Um, It was, it got a little verklempt, if Mm. if if you're all familiar (laughs) with that phrase from old SNL. But um, yeah, it's called Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. And it is, oh, yeah. I know. And actually, you were the one that recommended it to me. Yeah. And we started playing it like in your basement when you used to live in your old apartment. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of the tightest. You know, we talked a little bit about Ludo Narrative Harmony um, a couple episodes back when the gameplay of a game reflects this sort of narrative theme um, right? That's right. trying to expose. But basically, this game is one of the tightest examples of that that I've played this decade. To give kind of like a general overview, You play as two brothers who are trying to search for a cure for their father. Each brother is controlled by one of the joysticks, you know, if you're playing on a a typical PS3, PS4 controller. And so a lot of the game is trying to train your brain into thinking, um, train your hands into kind of thinking differently. Um, Luckily, you know, I have a little bit of experience as a drummer, so I
0: was able to pick up
1: on the gameplay loop pretty quickly. But it, it's an interesting and unique gameplay hook that I hadn't seen at that point. You know, it gets you interested from the get-go, but um, what I found totally impressive about the game was that, you know, it's a game where the characters kind of speak in sort of monosyllabic grunts, and uh, but over the course of this game, like, the emotion is so imprinted on these characters that you really do come to sympathize with them um, and really feel for their journey and the struggles that they go through. Uh, it's incredibly effective the way they sort of choreograph the arc of the game and uh you know they'll they'll start a a new section by giving you like a new gameplay uh they'll kind of expand like the typical gameplay mechanic and it won't it'll never overstay its welcome it'll give you just enough time to learn it execute it and then it moves on to the next thing and it's only about a three-hour game um but in those three hours they take you through just beautifully constructed set pieces that are moving and haunting and, you know, in some cases actually quite dark for a game that has such a light uh, design to it. It's just breathtaking. And the world building is consistent. Um, Yeah, I mean, all in all, the game is just an incredibly tight, simple, but great experience. Um, And in terms of anybody, you know, who who has siblings or anybody who enjoys like... You know, moving narrative set against the backdrop of, you know, beautiful, immersive environments. I would highly recommend Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. I think it's fairly inexpensive since it's been out for a couple of years, but it's a game that you can beat in an afternoon. And, you know, the ending, like I said, for me, really Really moved me.
0: Yeah, I think um, yeah,
1: I know you have played it, Andy. I think you wrote an article on it. If I remember yeah, correctly.
0: yeah, on my old blog a long time ago. Uh, I I moved everything over to the you know the site now that we we publish the podcast from. Of course, uh, maybe that's something I'll bring over. It was a long time ago, but yeah, that game was very very affecting for me too. It's been it's been a while. I'm trying to jog my memory, but I think that the reason I wanted I felt compelled to write about it was that you know we're used to the controller. Controlling the character and then the camera or a menu item, but the idea that it's two independent characters like two independent but conjoined brains almost there's a lot of metaphors and symbolism there and um, you know, there's different points in the game It's unspoilery as I can say, you know, there are points where, you know, you might get separated in some way and I found that every time that happened or whenever that did happen, I was still moving both joysticks and yeah just that that message alone you have to notice that to even get it but like almost in a way like once you learn to go through life with someone else together it makes those things that much more enjoyable so it's like why not try to you know aim for that all the time so i think it's it's sort of like it 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 embeds it into your subconscious in a way and you know i've Uh got i got a really close relationship with my two siblings my brothers Uh so this game was like very, very personally effective for me too. And I think it's why I recommended it to you. Cause you and I kind of have that fraternal bond in a way too. And yeah, I think yeah. it's just like, you have that sort of telekinesis, like you're kind of in sync with someone and you don't even realize it. You're not even trying. So right. I think the game, really, and if I remember yeah.
1: correctly, um, they switch up the controls a bit based on like what's going on in the game. Mm. And that alone, like it like affected me. Like, it was so weird because you're like you play the whole game with like a certain type of controls and then they just decide to switch up the controls on you. And I remember like feeling so weirded out by that, but like also like sort of it, it like moved me like mm-hmm. even though it, it wasn't like anything that was going on with the characters in the game per se, like the like that impacted me. And I remember like being so like thrown off by it because I'm like, wait a second, wait, what? And I was like, wow, that's it was just, like, so excellently done. Yeah. And I would love to see more games experiment with that sort of... Um, yeah, it just... Like, it,
0: it does it without any words. It just... You just feel it. It's just a feeling. And that's the best... Yeah, sometimes the yeah, best yeah. way that, you know, art can communicate. And I think it's... As with a lot of games, I think, on this list, we, we these are very experiential. Cerebral, like, they hit you deep. Like, they you, you know, you can't forget these things. I think that's why it's so easy for you to recollect. It just very much hits you in the gut. Yeah. yeah. Very, very excellent uh, game that I think is pretty underrated and i think kind of fell under the radar so i hope some people decide to check it out after hearing us uh yeah i hope so what about you andy what's your number five my number five i think is gonna be pretty divisive um i've got a lot (laughs) to say about it so listen up people it's everybody's gone to the rapture a game that came out in 2015 by the chinese room deep cut I had the privilege of getting to interview the creative director of this game, um, uh, yes. I, I, I did a self-published article interview with him, it's on Medium, it's it's also on the same website this podcast is being published from, so you can kind of dig through there, thumb through it if you're interested after hearing about it a little bit more here. The, the developer that made it, they also um, made pretty uh, well-known games, indie games, uh, more artistic, soft-spoken games like uh, Dear Esther which I believe you played. Oh, right? I love that game. Yep. So if Dear Esther is I of like... did not realize they made that game. Yeah, they also did Amnesia, uh, A Machine for Pigs, the, the follow-up oh, to Dark right. Descent. I didn't play that one. I did play Dear Esther. Um, really enjoyed it. And I think a good distinction is that if Dear Esther is more of like an interactive poem, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture is more of like a short story. And I would say it's sort of uh, like a, yeah. a short science fiction, bright horror story. Um, because... My big thing with this game is it is really hard to say what its genre is. And a lot of people will say, you're an idiot. It's just a walking simulator. Simple, done. <laughs> and I say no. No, no, no. I don't I do not you like say, step the fuck off. I say get off. I said, don't step to me with that shit. I <laughs> and this has come up with Death Stranding as people have been talking about what are you do in it. Why is it so why was it so secretive? I think it's because you know, game genres they tend to describe the mechanics of a game. They don't always describe what happens in it. You know, whereas like in books and movies, it's like it's a drama. It's a comedy. You're going to laugh. It's a horror right, thing. Right. You're going to be scared. In games, it's you're, it's a platformer. This is what you do. And I get that's a very useful term for games that are mostly about their mechanics. Crash Bandicoot, if someone said it's a game about being stranded on an island as a marsupial, I'd say, What? <laughs> But when they're like, it's a platformer, I'm like, oh, okay, it's a platformer. And a lot of times there's genres that people just don't like straight up because of the mechanics. Like, you know, we're not the biggest first person shooter players out there. We do like platformers though. We love RPGs. And that kind of tells us really quickly if we're going to care about spending time with the game. But there are some right. games that use the technology and the creativity and the innovations that game, game engines and game development actually take a perspective and assume a perspective and... Um, get a different view on things. They use that to just tell the story. And when the story is the point, why describe it based on what you do? Just describe it based on what you're going to experience. And that's what this game does. Um, I don't know how many people out there have played it. Um, When it did come out, the big thing was just that, well, it's a walking simulator. It's really slow. You don't do that much. Kind of boring. And that's just me being honest. That's what a lot of the critics uh, out there were saying. But there were also a lot of critics who lauded it for how beautiful it was how well written it was how well um voice acted it was the musical score is gorgeous Uh, it was composed by jessica curry she's kind of a legend in the industry at this point she does amazing work and the music cannot be separated from this game it really does sell those emotional high points um but basically in this game if you haven't been aware of it it's uh it takes place in this english countryside little town called Yachton. It's just this very idyllic summer day, and and you're just going through the town, and then you realize no one's there. And you're trying to figure out why they're not there. And without giving too much away, there's sort of uh, a—I mentioned science fiction earlier, and that's because this town sort of has a science wing to it. There's an observatory, and that observatory was studying a scientific anomaly, and that is very much at the heart of what's going on. All I'll really say about what it is like to play this game is a quote from the creative director— What he said was, quote, It's absolutely terrifying because it's about the destruction of the mundane, of real lives, and we really wanted to capture that. While it's a game about a vast cosmic event, it's really a game about those little apocalypses we all navigate in our lives. The death of a loved one, the collapse of a relationship, the massive change caused by having a child, trying to create a new life and a new home, end quote. So it's, yeah, it's about all those things, and this game just really personally hit me in a way I wasn't expecting Um, it swept me up and got me to consider my own small little role in our giant universe Um, the nature of potential intelligent life um, the pain and beauty of feeling like an outsider in a place you're not used to Um, it's just a really stunning example of how you can tell that kind of story with very few mechanics and it's just so painterly and terrifying and um uh eye-opening all at the same time it's just something you have to check out Uh, yeah
1: it's i remember like playing that game you brought it over like and we were playing it in my parents living room yeah yeah uh, when i was visiting home and uh we got like i don't know maybe a fifth of the way through it or something and i remember we ended on this like crescendo note the way that the music and the like atmosphere and the direction kind of converged it actually like took my breath away like there was and dear there has like moments of that too where i just Mm -hmm. feel like you know the the sort of scenery and the the way they sort of direct the the gameplay to kind of crescendo at organic points it, it like really just kind of hits you full force they're like you can tell that they're definitely masterful at using minimal set pieces to to really and even minimal like character interaction to really emotional responses yeah um yeah that's a game that i've always wanted to kind of pick up because we didn't finish it um but you know what i played i really did like it does it does kind of feel like a um british i don't know if it's british but it, it sort of feels like a sort yeah, of in um, the uk like rural rustic town yeah yeah definitely and you the way you talked about it like that's i feel like you you really captured the essence of that game
0: yeah thank you so alex what's your number four Number four is a
1: game that not many of you will be surprised made my list, Um, or maybe you will, who knows, because it's a game that I think was a little divisive with the fan base, but it is Resident Evil 7... Resident Evil 7 to me is a triumphant return to a forum for one of my favorite franchises um, and one of the longest lasting kings of survival horror. So I think by virtue of that, it demands a place on this list. Resident Evil 7 walked so that Resident Evil 2 remake could run. And what do I mean by that? It is a game that largely is in response to the critical failure of Resident Evil 6, um, which was sort of this mangled together game that tried to incorporate all of the different elements of Resident Evil's history um, in terms of gameplay and narrative. Uh, So it was sort of this mangled together Frankenstein's monster that had like horror elements, quick time elements. Um, with a super convoluted story that tried to tie together all these loose ends with these characters that were on their own different journeys. And as you would expect, it was just critically lambasted. Um, You know, it sold fairly well, but people were just like, dear God, this game is a mess. So Capcom got their shit together and was like, we need to go back to the drawing board and uh, focus more on horror. So they took a fairly risky move, which was they were like, well, we're not going to go back to fixed camera angles. We're not going to go back to the the over-the-shoulder quite yet. We haven't tried first-person. Let's do that. I'm a pretty big proponent of the fixed camera angle and for, like, Resident Evil games, and I also have come to really enjoy the the over-the-shoulder now that it's been taken back to its sort of primal instantiation with Resident Evil 2 Remake. Mm -hmm. But the first-person choice, retroactively, like, looking back at it, was pretty brilliant you know obviously it had an immediate immersive impact where you felt like you were in the character's shoes basically it's like you know character named ethan you're in this creepy mansion kind of a throwback to resident evil one um and it's a game that plays with players expectations very well like you know you've played six resident evils up until now and you think you know exactly how this is going to go but you don't. Um, and I remember making you play through the, the first act. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Um, yeah. I'll never and forget that. It's just in every corner, you're like, oh, okay. There's no way that this is going to happen. And it happens. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I'm I'm surely going to get through this. And then something else happens. And you're just like, what the hell is going on? Like, everything, everything is meant to, like, destabilize your thinking and just cause you, like, an incredible amount of stress. Which, I mean... I've gone through it, and I remember you know, playing it with Emma, uh, my wife, and we're both like, what the hell is going on right now? Yeah. Like, just yeah, being like, frustrated, terrified, stressed, which just to me is testament to the success they had with that formula. Yeah.
0: I was on the edge of my seat the entire time I played the opening chapter. I, it was unrelenting, and it really stressed me out. Uh, I, I want to build <laughs> yeah, up the it's, courage it's to revisit stressful. it. But.
1: Yeah, no, it reminds me of like, it reminds me a lot of like what they did with Mr. X and the Resident Evil Two remake, like totally. just shattering your expectations. Yeah, um, but this was like the first iteration of that, and it was just so well done. Yeah, it changes a lot of the biological horror to a more psychological horror too. Like not so much in a Silent Hill way, where or Eternal Darkness way, where your things are hallucin- hallucinations, but mm-hmm. there's this sort of like abusive family dynamic, like texas chainsaw massacre vibe where the characters you're you're thrown into this family that's just like clearly messed up and clearly like abusive towards one another and towards you um you know you you kind of get the sense that they're like adopting you into this family like through not to spoil too much but like (laughs) biological assimilation i guess i don't know what you would call it but you know as you're sort of as sort of like an adoptive son to this family, that the father figure sort of treats you like in a patronizing, sadistic way, mocks you, chases you, kind of gives you a sense of hope, and then shatters it. Like, it's a lot of really creepy sort of dynamics you might see in a real, like, abusive family situation where, like, parents just treat their children like playthings and, like, don't take their emotions seriously. Yeah, what else can I say about it? The boss fights are so incredibly refreshing and creative again not to spoil too much but all of the boss, like a lot of the boss fights put you in a really small arena but this particular one you're like you don't have like any means to defend yourself with and then like any way any means to escape and then every time you think you found something you're like oh yeah this is clearly it they give you a couple of seconds of hope before just like shattering (laughs) it in some like crazy dramatic way and it's like yeah you're just like your mind goes into this mode where you're like, okay, I'm safe. All right, good. And then you're just like, Oh
0: my God, what the hell? Like you're just, (laughs) it's so,
1: it's so great because they just, they get you in this sense of like secure safety and then they just shatter it. And it, the feelings involved with that, like just have stuck with me. And I think, you know, Hmm. you know, all of these things, plus just a return to a formula of mystery, disempowerment, horror, um, you know, the combat being feeling heavy and weighted and slow and clumsy. The atmosphere is thick. The monsters, you know, are much more powerful you, than you, you know, which is great, which I think that the Resident Evil franchise has always thrived off of. You yeah. Know, you always yeah. want to feel like you're taking down a threat. For me, just it really felt like the most Resident Evil experience since like Resident Evil probably two, like the original. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like I that's... feel even more so than three and four and all of the other ones, like this was really the one that felt so Resident Evil to me. I I just feel like this game demands to be on my top five list.
0: That's very high praise coming from of all people, you. Um, When I saw this was on your list, I was shocked because I was like, oh, Resident Evil 7? Like I was, I mean, (laughs) with this game, it's so different from what I've played and seen of it. I'm kind of wondering too, like what to you makes it uh, distinctly resident evil like you know what like what connects it to the world of resident evil because it seems like so like it could have happened on another side of the world in the world that resident evil is happening there's no raccoon city there's no stars um like what to you like connects it to that story especially if you see this as like sort of the most resident evil game following the original second game so many games came in between
1: so it's not so much like the lore of the game i mean they do try to loosely tie it back to everything that came before it in terms of like the overarching Resident Evil story, pretty loosely done. Like they do it in an okay way. it's it's pretty satisfying for me. But to me, like what's more important is that they captured the spirit of the franchise. Um, mm. And to me, that spirit is, you know, making you putting you in a, a mysterious environment with a sort of mystery underlying it all. And giving you, you know, just enough to defend yourself against, uh, you know, the constant threats that are coming at you, you know, slowly but surely, making you scrounge and scrape and explore the environment mm-hmm. that you're in, and just genuinely feeling like you are placed in this,
0: like you really are there. So would you say it put the survival back in survival horror?
1: I would definitely say yeah. so. You're not just like running around picking up ammo and just like, you really are like running down hallways trying to find a door that you can go through to like any sort of save room any sort of ammo any sort of healing and you know the enemies are terrifying and uh yeah i mean it really truly is like a great survival horror game well, despite its flaws i would say
0: yeah well that's very exciting that a made your list um yeah know yeah, that's that's cool you know it definitely represents i think a direction that that genre took this decade to glad that resident evil made it
1: <laughs> hell yeah so what about you what's your number
0: four my number four is another game that I think might surprise quite a few people, might not surprise too many people who have been following along with us and know me. It is a game that I think represents this decade and perhaps the last, in so many ways, it is The Last Guardian by Team Ico. Ooh, Yeah. directed and designed by uh, Famita Ueda, uh, the legendary game designer who is known best for Shadow of the Colossus. The Last Guardian had a lot to live up to I think that's something that we'll get into a little bit here. Um, something that's on my mind a lot as I think about like why do I why do I put it on this list um, And I think that you know similar to the other games we've been talking about so far this game, just really personally affected me. Yeah, I wrote about it very personally as well for Polygon. You can find a reference to that in our Instagram feed. Uh, they had they featured the iconic Trico, the, one of the main characters, of not arguably the main character. They, they had like a top 70 characters of the decade, video game characters, and, and Trico is very much near the top. Um, and they uh, posted a little link to the article I wrote for them as sort of a reference point. So check that out if you're interested to learn more about sort of the inner mechanics and kind of broke the game down in a way we otherwise might do on this show, uh, but in a written form. But the reason it's on my list is because it's such a raw exploration of empathy and it just brings a lot of attention to even things like how we interact with wild animals. That's something I got out of it in playing it and what was going on in my life at the time. And it's just so intricate and thoughtful with all of its design sensibilities. It offers a ton of rewarding environmental puzzles, something I love in games, and this does it in such a way that is part of the overall fabric of the world and the environment you're in. It all kind of goes together um, in both a functional and a, and a narrative way. Um, you'd have to kind of look pretty closely to maybe see exactly what the literal story is, but I think it's it's there. It's it's there's you know it's puzzles that feel like they have a place, and I just think it nicely rounds out Ueda's trilogy of Ico. Shadow of the Colossus, and then The Last Guardian, they all have a very similar aesthetic, a similar kind of control scheme with the way you grab things and run around. Uh, kind of like what you said about Resident Evil 7 reminded me of this. These games all have a distinct weight to them and like a physical weight to them. Uh, there's a little bit of a clumsiness in these games and they just feel so, like the gravity of your character in this world feels so realistic um, and so fickle uh, and and responsive. And it's also just, it's a heartbreaking game <laughs> really it's 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 a beautiful game it reminds me a lot of kind of like a a lot of um uh, Miyazaki's films most of all probably Castle in the Sky uh it has a lot of shades of that so if you're a fan of that that kind of you know animated film and those sorts of stories that are bittersweet but also joyful and very layered and complex you'd probably enjoy this um it was a game that was caught in a in sort of a spiral of overhype this, it just had a really tumultuous development cycle that was very heavily covered by the media. And I just think it overshadowed what this game was actually doing. And yeah, it's got some flaws. Um, I'll get into that later, but it's just um, it's a really beautiful game of just a boy and this creature, this giant creature who are very hostile towards one another, slowly building a bond, which by the end of the game, they do not seem like much of a monster at all. You just grow so close to them. They're, like a, they're kind of like a, a pet. Um, and I think the other big thing about it, um, is just that this game flips the entire concept of an escort mission An escort mission is the death knell of a video game. Every time anyone gets an escort mission, they're like, Oh my (laughs) gosh, like I have to do this. I have to wait for this person to get around in this game. You are the escort in the end. And this character doesn't really need you as much as you need it. And there is a definitely a codependence. There are things you can do that it can't, um, namely really emotionally, you can help keep it calm and help give it direction and help give it encouragement but this creature can do could really beat the game without you um, so it's more about the emotional investment in this character and I think that is just such a beautiful twist on a very checkered gaming convention and um, it's just it's just really brilliantly designed uh, with that in mind there's so many, I could go on about this game for so long but it's really underrated um I think it deserves, <laughs> yeah, deserves some I- time.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I remember hearing that, um, like, the AI was like very accurate to like real world animals. Like, oh it would, yeah, it'd be so like difficult to get the thing's attention. Like, am I is this actually working as it intended, or is this like yeah, is this some sort of like weird glitch? But then, like in real life, I mean, that's so true. I mean, I'll be walking my dog Walter, and I'll just be like, and he knows his name. Like when we're in our apartment, I call his name, he'll come. But like when we're outside, I'm like, Walter, Walter, come on. and he'll just be like nope i'm busy smelling this thing right now and it's just like impossible to get his attention you find that pretty accurate
0: oh i yeah it is it's uh the ai is is groundbreaking i don't think i've seen anything like it since i never saw anything like it before this game um i think that was a big point of the the criticisms was that when i played it i didn't i felt like trico didn't fight me too much i thought he fought me enough Um, To where it felt like I really had to think about what would get their attention, what would get them motivated. Um, And it felt like it was it was fair. And I just felt like it's about paying attention to the body language of the creature and the environment. And just thinking about how, again, like a theme with this list and our list and our games are choosing is that sometimes mechanics can it's more about conveying a, a feeling or an experience than it is about getting you to just simply progress or fail. Um, right. And I think that's really important. I think just the AI and the animation on Trico is stunning. It's it's incredible. It's beautiful how this character reacts, how its feathers blow. I spent most of the game just petting Trico to <laughs> maybe that's why I had such an easy time. I would just I, there's theories that the more you pet it, the more it you know kind of tends to behave and listen to you. You know, on top of the AI and getting the creature to move around is that you needed to do this because Trico is is sort of part of the level design. It's just like in shadow of the colossus when you're climbing the colossi it's like that the colossi is a level in and of itself a moving living breathing level and trico is almost an extension of every level and every level is complete with their presence so getting trico to jump from you know a pillar to this wall of vines and then onto a bridge that you cannot jump allows you to connect the dots literally and figuratively within this level and it's almost like you're taking part of the environment with you at the, at the entire time. And you're just trying to make sure that that, that component can sort of relay race from, from stage to stage and chapter to chapter. And it's, it's seamless. The game never cuts. It never, it's, it's just like one seamless level that goes on for several dozen of hours. And it's so thoughtfully made and and written and beautiful. And, uh, I think people who maybe have passed it, because it wasn't as good as Shadow of the Colossus, which I don't necessarily agree with. It's very different. It's apples to oranges. Um, I think that you just gotta take it on its own terms and give it a give it a chance.
1: Yeah, yeah, I uh I know it affected you like a ton and I think, you know, I I read your article, obviously, but it seems like a lot of people seem to agree with your assessment of the game that it is pretty affecting. Mm-hmm. And having just owned a first pet as an adult, you know. This like I've only had my dog for a year, but I think it's a I think it's a game that I might have to go back and play through.
0: Yeah. So we're in our top threes, Alex. All right. Let's do this. Top three.
1: All right. So number three uh, is a game that changed the gaming landscape, I would argue, for the better. Um, And it is a game that probably everybody is familiar with because I'm pretty sure to quote the gaming Council podcast that the summer of 2016 was the closest (laughs) we have come to world peace (laughs) because Pokemon Go was released. People might be like, what mobile game, not real game. And I would argue so heartily against that Um, to give you a bit of a background. I would consider myself a pretty light Pokemon fan. Um, I was a very hardcore Pokemon fan. I collected all 151 Pokemon uh, back in the original Red and Blue versions back when I, I think I was in sixth grade. I used to play, uh, you know, six on six battles in the on the playground mm-hmm. using the connecting cable. Played through Pokemon Gold, Silver, Ruby, Sapphire. I think my thing with the Pokemon games is that like they the original formula was amazing. But I feel like, as sort of Nintendo franchises often do, I feel like they kind of rested on their laure- laurels a little bit too much. And I thought the game could have grown in very unique and interesting ways. But And to this day, I still think that it, it kind of rests on its laurels a little bit too much um, yeah. and doesn't really innovate in the ways that it should be innovating. But that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, when I heard Pokemon Go was being announced, I was interested, to say the least, And when it launched, I was a pretty early adopter. I remember being in my apartment and being like, oh, man, it's out. I'm going to download it and like catching my first Pokemon in my in my uh, in my apartment space and being like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then it just blew up. Um, Everybody was playing it. There were like, you know, videos being posted of like just stampedes of people running through Central Park trying to catch a Vaporeon. And it just blew my mind because, you know, Pokemon's always been a popular franchise, but something about this game just captivated people. I don't know if it was just the way they implemented like GPS on your phone Mm. and calculating like where you are and like hunting down these monsters in the real world, quote unquote, or if it was the social aspect of choosing a team and being part of a team and doing these raids and taking down these gyms. But yeah, I mean something just captivated people and everybody was playing it for those first couple months of summer. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of died down eventually um, because I think people kind of got bored with the formula that they definitely expanded on for the better over the following years. But yeah, people were just obsessed and I had started playing it and I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I kind of got back into the got to catch them all mentality. Yeah. And uh, i walks with my wife, who at the time was my fiance or actually just girlfriend at the time you know, she was kind of curious and she thought, you know, the Pokemon were cute and like, it was kind of funny. Like she'd like to see their little animations and the little like, you know, battle cries and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, you know, she was like, do you mind? I was like, you want to play this with me? And she's like, yeah, hell yeah. Like I was just waiting for you to ask. So (laughs) she picked it up and it just became like this amazing bonding routine for us. Like we would go around, we would go around, like go on walks around our neighborhood, you know, which we're blessed to have like a little kind of park area in our neighborhood. It, it just became like this awesome game we'd play and it was so fun um it was so fun to have that with with her you know she's not really yeah, a, i yeah. wouldn't consider her like a really big video game player but pokemon go like you know was something that we really bonded over she worked at a like cake shop and the cake shop was actually a pokemon gym oh my god that's great yeah it was so perfect i'd come to visit her and i would see that she had taken down the gym and claimed it for our team and like (laughs) would put she put a pokemon in it very and it would always be like the least intimidating pokemon it'd be like a togepi like a little (laughs) tiny egg creature and it was just like yeah i conquered this gym and i put an egg in it now what it's just so funny and i've man i've never been more proud of her i'll tell you what
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. It's like <laughs> um it's also
0: got like yeah. that augmented reality aspect to it too, right? I mean, that was pretty pretty new at the time when that was featured. It was like such a great, like, hey, like here's this new technology that's on everyone's phones. Here's like a really recognizable way to just engage with it. You know, like
1: Yeah, the the AR was like cutting edge in a lot of ways. Um, and it certainly hadn't been utilized in such an addictive, you know, appealing loop. Um mm-hmm. You know, people I think were infatuated with that. And I know like when we're taking pictures of like Pokemon on their desks and Pokemon on the toilet seat and like <laughs> all these funny things. And they're just like memes, you know, it was, it was great. It was brilliant. Uh, it, it, they really, really did a lot to grow and adapt with their player base. And I think, you know, now it's the best it's ever been. Um, We don't, <laughs> ironically, we don't play the game anymore because it became kind of a time sink for us. And we made mm. a conscious choice to be more, We'll be more aware of our surroundings and conscious of the things that we are doing. So if we go for a walk, we're more immersed in the environment and keen to the sounds and sights of what's out there. But, yeah. um, you know, for those couple of years, I mean, we just had a
0: blast playing it. I didn't even play this game and I still felt like I was playing it because, you know, there's some there's some areas around town like that. A lot of people you know usually tend to congregate and I'd walk down them in the summer and there was like three times as many people congregating in all these little alcoves and areas. I'm like, what is going on? And then you see, you could tell when someone was playing this game just by the way that they, <laughs> their body language and the way they were using their phone. Like everyone's on their phone, but it's like, you're not just using your phone. You're searching for Pokemon right now. I mean, there was hordes of people in the spot where it'd normally be like two or three people. There's like 20. And I'm like, I can't escape this. It's everywhere. Um, so it really like, I really see those images still in my mind of just, you know, we go there now and those people are not there anymore. So it was kind of a, kind of fascinating in that way.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's a game that was so popular that it would lead to tourism spikes in certain areas of a neighborhood or certain countries because, you know, there were region exclusive Pokemon that you can only get in Europe and people would make an effort to like get to these places to catch these Pokemon because they would be elusive. It was an intergenerational game. So it helped a lot of parents connect with kids or grandparents connect with their grandchildren. Um, I think it did so much to change the associations that gaming had uh, or gamers had. Like, for example, gamers don't get exercise. They just stay inside all the time. And, you know, they never get out and explore nature. And this game is so counter to all of those things that I think that gamers and gaming have been associated with, which was really, really cool. Um, Yeah. To see that. I have so many stories I could tell, but, you know, I'll just toss a couple out there real quick. You know, Emma and I visited france together and uh you know it's where we got engaged and we got engaged at at the palace of versailles and one of the things that uh happened right before i proposed to her was these little salamanders came out of this uh fountain and so like salamanders became yeah salamanders kind of became like a little uh symbol for our engagement and our marriage and it was cool because shortly after I was able to catch a Charmander at Oh no way. Notre Dame Cathedral. So it was like this really fitting the yeah. icon of like a little a little French salamander. And so we we both caught this French sal- this French Charmander and we named them uh, after people who lived in Versailles, which was kind of cool. So they became like these little sentimental sprites. Um
0: Oh, that's fun. Which is just love that. yeah,
1: just fun. We caught a nine tails in our in the little like apartment that we were staying at in France. And the woman who ran it was this little old French lady named Catherine. So we named our nine tails, (laughs) Catherine. Oh, that's great. Um, But probably my favorite Pokemon go story is this one. I, my friend asks me to be in their wedding. I had like a minor role, but it, it required a tuxedo and the whole nine yards. I had to rent a tux tux and everything. Between the actual ceremony and the reception, there's about an hour break or I'm kind of like, you know, just hanging out, getting like kind of coming down from the whole ceremony and I get back at we, Emma and I get back in our, in my car and we start driving over there and Emma has Pokemon go up and she's like, Whoa, what is that? And I'm like, I consider myself like a pretty knowledgeable Pokemon fan. I'm like, and in Pokemon go, when you don't have a Pokemon, it's silhouette appears. So you can kind of see like the general shape of the Pokemon. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't think that Pokemon exists. Like, I don't actually think that's a real Pokemon. I have absolutely no idea what it was. Its sprite was like super small and it looked like it had like almost like a like an octagon shaped head. I'm like, what the hell is that thing? I'm like, Emma, where is that? Like, you can kind of see where they are nearby. She's like, it looks like it's in the cemetery. I'm like, all right, we're, we're doing it. Like, I'm literally on my way to this reception that I'm like supposed to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Fuck it, detour time." So I <laughs> we I take a detour and I drive into this cemetery, and the cemetery is just flooded with Pokemon Go players. We're talking like hundreds of Pokemon Go players walking around this cemetery. That's like the most. And I'm 2019. Driving my car, trying to like not hit them, trying to figure out like what the hell is going on right now. So we drive to the location, and sure enough, this little tiny Pokemon appears. It is a Pokemon that does not exist. Like we click on it. And, like, usually when you click on a Pokemon, it'll say its name, like, even if it's one that you haven't caught. And this one just says question mark, question mark, question mark. And I'm like, is this a glitch? Did the game, like, mess up? Is this, like, something that, like, shouldn't be out yet? Like, I haven't heard anything about this. So we're, like, freaking out. And we end up catching it. And it transforms into this Pokemon that is a Pokemon that can, like, shapeshift. We're just like, what? What? no like that's not no like it can't we cannot have done all this for the like this like it was just like a trick and we were so bummed about it but then like later on like in that week that it like made all these news outlets like this was this big event that like nobody knew was going to happen it was this new pokemon that was being released and it was for the upcoming game i think it was um sun and moon i think and it was a pokemon that they had introduced in this new game that was coming out called meltan but they had not announced it Nobody knew it was dropping. I was so, like, excited and, like, we were both just super pumped about this, like, random mysterious Pokemon appearing. That we we literally were dressed in our, our, like, wedding finery and we took, like, a freaking detour through this, like, graveyard (laughs) to, like, hunt down this rare and elusive Pokemon. And it was just such a funny experience and it was so, like, it just captured... The essence of what I think Pokemon Go is is just like this sheer excitement of like blending the real world with this like fantasy world and it just did it in such a way that was so so fun and so carefree hmm. and so like immersive. I just have a very near and dear uh spot for that game in my heart.
0: Yeah, it's like it's great when a game can bring people together in that sort of uh like real world dynamic unpredictable way and then also has like a layer of comedy to it too where it's just generally genuinely funny and fun
1: if there's anything it's proven it's it's that it is so simple to get into but it just it's it's really a definition of like easy to easy to learn hard to master yeah it has a surprising amount of depth and especially now um but it you know obviously it appeals to everybody for multiple different reasons whether you're just collecting them because they're adorable or you like collecting things, or if you're battling them, or if you're trading them, Like, there's there's a lot that that game can give you. And I think it's it's super fun just as a carefree kind of fun uh, game. And I, I really do think it's changed the landscape. I mean, so many games have tried to emulate that, like the Harry Potter Wizarding World one, and
0: oh, n- yeah, none of totally, them have been able to totally. succeed. So Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, definitely something uh, I think no one can not remember this decade partially for uh yeah i appreciate you sharing those stories i never heard those before that's really cool i really enjoyed that
1: yeah 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 it's it's a great game so andy i am wondering what you have for your number three
0: all right um my number three uh, is a game that i've very very briefly mentioned on the show once before and uh when i was coming up with my list i just felt like i kept i could not put it on it um because i've one of the few games from the decade i played multiple times and when i started playing it i thought i was not even going to get through it once um so it was surprising in that in that vein but um, my number three is hyper light drifter in this game you, you saw just a little bit of it over the break uh, give you a taste of it oh yeah um but for those of you those of you out there who maybe haven't Seen it? Um, you, you probably actually have. If you're, you know, if you're a, anyone who follows games and indie games in general, you definitely have seen it in some way because its its art style has become pretty iconic. Um, in, in the wake of it, you know, this is a game that I think represents some of the best of the the sort of retro indie trend, um, the retro indie genre that has come out. Um, sort of a throwback to the SNES days, but with some more modern, contemporary touches. Whether it's quality of life or the fluidity of the art and design or the mechanical innovations, just interesting twists on gameplay. It just has so much to offer is so much depth with while saying so little on its face. It really is saying a lot. Um, and it actually kind of got me. It's, it's very much like of the Soulsborne, bloodborne dark souls, kind of Sekiro like school of thought in terms of, it's just really punishing and it's really like an unforgiving world, but sort of a forgiving game design um, and I just think it got me into that before I even realized I, I kind of could withstand and endure those video games. Um, but I think what really I took away from this game and every time I revisit it, it's the first thing that I feel again when I play it and like why I miss this game or why I keep going back to it in my mind is it just has this really fascinating balance it strikes um tonally with it's like very spine chilling and kind of creepy. It's hopeful. It's macabre and also just really electrifying and exciting and like and like snappy all at the same time. Like some games are like really morose or slow and like plotting and heavy and they're also scary and that all kind of goes together well. And this game just has these fascinating contrasts. Um, it's it's impossible to to not at least bring up the backstory behind the game a little bit. Um, the main developer behind the game, Alex Preston. Um, the game really represents his own struggles in life because he has a congenital heart disease and he kind of realized that his, his mortality is very much in a presence of mind for him because he has to do a lot to, you know, remain healthy and remain in good spirits and, um, always wanted to make video games and just sort of decided he was going to kickstart and try to get funding for a game. He always wanted to make, or his dream video game, like a throwback to this kind of, as I was saying, that kind of era of video games. And the game was wildly overfunded because its style was so cool the concept was great it just really was at the right place in the right time and it's such a great story because the game just ended up expanding and being way bigger than it was supposed to be and just it turned out into this really like almost like a masterpiece of of retro indie game design and the backstory is just explored throughout this game it's it's you know it's an action adventure game it's kind of like if the two miyazaki's we talk about like you know miyazaki who makes you know, the animated films <laughs> and then Miyazaki who makes yeah. the Soulsborn games, if those two got together and we're like, what if we made an SNES game that was kind of like Zelda but like mature and brutal and cryptic and scary and all those things um, but it was about like this person's journey of just fighting for their life, like you're just fighting at all odds trying to look for some kind of cure some kind of sense of hope um, and that that is visually represented throughout the game in different ways, whether it's literally with like a heart and like a actual like vat of something like a giant heart or the character that you're playing as is very sick and there's sometimes they like the screen gets really fuzzy and they kind of start coughing and staggering and they cough up a little bit of this like pink blood or something really like gory in that sense and there's a lot of graphic stuff in the background for being just like a pixel art video game there's so much detail in every pixel and every little thing tells a story about this environment and like a lot of things we've talked about here, again, there's a lot a theme here, I think, of non-linguistic, visually communicative video games, visual storytelling, environmental storytelling. Um, and this game just pushes you to the brink. It's so challenging but satisfying, the, the pace and the way that the combat and sort of some of the RPG elements of enhancing skills, buying new weapons, finding new weapons, and embedding a really personal story and a really unique uh, look and feel like it's kind of Blade Runner-esque uh, in a way, but it also has a lot of naturalistic elements. It's like a post-apocalyptic setting as a lot of games are, but very distinct from most post-apocalyptic games. But there are other people like you out there that are also struggling and there's like that reminder of that throughout the game as you go and it just keeps you to keep going and keep fighting and don't give up. Um, and it's just such a like, it's just an exciting literally a heart-pounding video game um, with so little it really uses um, what it has to has to work with to great effect. So, I mean, you, yeah, you it saw a little me bit a of, lot that.
1: of like what I was saying about Brothers, a game that like uses everything that it can to create like a unified front yeah. to deliver its message. Um, even when, you know, language isn't even used because I remember Hyperlight Drifter, I remember being like there's, there's an even written text, silent, it's right, like a silent right, film. Right. And I just think it's amazing that I can say all that with just like they they had such a vision that they are able to communicate that vision in something in a way that you know doesn't even use language. That's like some of the most impressive game game direction, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's um honestly my it's almost perfect. My only complaint with the game is that I think that that lack of literal language or you know, a sort of an abstract iconography set. And a very um, a very reserved graphic user interface is that there are parts of the game where a little more clarity would have gone a long way in the way that maps are depicted. Sometimes it's really hard to tell like what's locking you off and what's keeping you from getting there. Um, especially as your skills start to build up, because by the end of the game, you just feel like you feel like a hyperlight drifter. You you feel super strong and powerful and super quick and uh, like witty in battles, and you have so much at your disposal that when you get stuck, just kind of trying to find. A thing because sometimes the map it hides a lot of secrets and sometimes the answer is way more obvious than you think it is and it's just oh if they just told me it was over there i probably would have found it sooner so that was the only thing that really held it back from being even honestly even higher on this list but it's you know despite all these things and uh it's it's fun it's really fun even for how you know heavy it can be at times
1: i have i have some shopping to do <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah uh get it while you it's setting i need to do yeah Um, I mean, for who I think would play this game, given it's, you know, it's pretty, got a pretty niche, I think, audience in a sense, but I think it would really appeal to just anyone. Like if you grew up playing SNES games, like the ones I said before, if you love Zelda, but want something maybe a little more edgy and intense, um, even like with the throwback Zeldas, I know they just remastered Link's Awakening. It's like, if that could be that, but like rated R and silent, like what, what would (laughs) I, could I get into that? I think give it a shot. Um, so We're getting near the end here. Top twos, please. Let's hear it.
1: (laughs) All right. My number two. I give you listeners three words. The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. Oh man, where do I even begin with Skyrim? It is probably my most played game of the decade. Um, I've put hundreds of hours into it, literally. And uh, the only thing, the only reason that I probably stopped playing it, which looking back is perhaps a good thing, is that my overexcitement with installing mods to the game Actually ended up corrupting my save file, like my oh, Prime no. save file. Yeah, so I ended up kind of putting a hard stop after that because I was just so bummed that the character that I had spent hundreds of hours building basically had to be sacrificed to the digital gods. But to me, Skyrim with mods, and I understand that that's a big disclaimer because, um, you know, you have to be playing on the PC, but... Skyrim, with mods, to me, is the ultimate and most liberating fantasy RPG experience to date. Um, You know, the core game has its flaws, and those are just something that screen-looking may or may not get to at some point, but um, I think, you know, there are plenty of outlets out there that you can, you know, look up the flaws of Skyrim, but the passionate modder community honestly gives players everything they need to craft the sort of world that they will never want to leave. I just was so blown away by the experience. I have so many memorable experiences in that game that came about so organically, like that other players probably just don't have by virtue of the certain experience that I was in and how I responded to it. It was such a great gateway drug (laughs) to the genre because i like you know uh one of the things i was really surprised about in our last episode was that joe referenced skyrim as one of his top three favorite games and you know looking back at our gaming history together joe is a person that i never would have guessed had would ever play any sort of fantasy game i mean he's like really Hmm. yeah he's just not like a fantasy gamer like he never was into like lord of the rings at all he was never really into like harry Hmm. potter at all I know him mostly as like a person who's who likes games with like more realistic groundings, which you know, is something that we really diverged on. But he picked up Skyrim, like he said, this this past year and he it's become one like one of his favorite games. Every time we talk, I mean, he just can't stop gushing about it. Like during his school day, like during his lunch or whatever, he'll make little lists about what he has what he wants to accomplish in the game and stuff. And I think it's just one of those those games that it's it's simple like on its surface and the gameplay loop is so addictive and it rewards adventuring and exploring and the world is just so immersive. You know, I think that it there's a reason that it has as many ports as it does. I think it's, I mean, every single modern gaming console has a port. Yeah, per- even the
0: Switch got it. Uh, yeah, that Switch, long ago.
1: Xbox One, PS3, PS4. You know, there's even that, uh, that uh, parody video of like keegan michael keys like
0: alexa play skyrim you're level 57 and see a tall snowy mountain
1: Climate now skyrim and life become one
0: a mud crab scuttles towards first roda. i didn't catch that first roda. i didn't quite catch That's that so first roda. your shout echoes all the way to Sovngarde
1: it's a joke but it's it's also sort of serious in the fact that like this game is just universally like it's so like universally loved that it's just reached. It's just reached like the furthest nooks and crannies of the yeah. gaming landscape. You know, it didn't invent the idea of open world games, but I really do think it popularized it. And in many ways sort of set the landscape for the future of, you know, open world games like the Witcher and so on and so forth. Um, it had a really like innovative way and really efficient way of sending you around the world and opening the world up to your character. And also like, but also simultaneously rewarding your exploration, you know, you would, you'd all of a sudden stumble upon a cave and you'd be like, what's in this cave. And all of a sudden, like you're infiltrating this, uh, this group of bandits that like, you know, have a underground (laughs) like ship that they're going to take. And like, you have to like kind of stop them before they leave or whatever. It just, it gets so it's so granular you you really do stumble upon these incredibly epic scenarios
0: before breath of the wild it was the open world game um and and just gave that sense of i can like no one knew the limit of what they could do or couldn't do in this world and like is there any like specific anecdote like mods or not mods that like either way like that stand out to you as like this is like a very very much describes what happens in skyrim and like why it's exciting and why it's so high on your list uh yes
1: oh man so so i was going through this quest and i was trying to become like the archmage mage of this mages guild the mages guild is set in this like giant circular fortress that's on a mountainside and so i had installed this deadly dragons mod which basically takes the dragons in the game and and dials them up to 11 um and you can have multiple dragons appear at the same time they can summon new enemies and they can kind of like they're just incredibly powerful and they make you like afraid you like you hear a dragon roar and you instantly seek cover. It's like a terrifying experience. So I'm doing this mage's quest trying to become the archmage of this guild. And all of a sudden I'm in the courtyard, which is like this two layered open area that has like a way, like kind of an upper level and a lower level. All of a sudden I hear this dragon roar and I'm like, Oh shit. I need to like hide as soon as I can. So I like duck behind this pillar and like, seconds after this dragon lands in the courtyard and just starts like breathing fire everywhere. And then there's like fire going in between the pillars and stuff. So I'm running out. I'm like trying to kill this thing. And all of a sudden, like these mages walking through the courtyard, see it and they start attacking it. So this thing's getting like riddled by like lightning icicles. Like I'm running in like shield bashing its head, trying to get a couple hits in while like dodging behind pillars. And we're taking it out. We're taking it out slowly, but surely. And all of a sudden I'm like, all right, we got this. We totally got this. And I hear, another dragon roar and i'm like wait was that the same dragon so i look up and i see a second one just circling oh it. no like, oh no are you kidding so i run up to the second level and i i had like a couple spells so i'm like slinging spells at this thing like while it's circling the the like courtyard and meanwhile below me there are like mages just trying to like control this other dragon and it just turns into like this like like 12 versus 2 like combat of just like you know, running and trying to shield dash and heal other players and stuff and or other NPCs. Um it was just it's just like so epic. And eventually I ended up like trying to kite the one dragon like mm-hmm. out onto like this walkway in front of the mages guild. So like I'm running down this walkway getting like fireballed, and I'm I can look through like the courtyard entrance and see like all these other mages like fighting this other dragon, and it's just so epic and so good.
0: Yeah. Um I feel like I'm going to jump right into my number two a little bit as a counterpoint because I feel like our number twos, everything you said, I feel like could be said of the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Oh, man. Um, this yeah. game, it, it just. It's incredible. It's a it's an incredible game. Um, I I think it's one one of the greatest games I've ever played. Honestly, I think it's in terms of just its scope, its scale, its epicness. It's like up there for me with like the magnitude that a game like Final Fantasy VII had when it came out, where it was pushing the technology and the medium, and and just telling a very gripping uh, story and giving you a very rich long uh, thorough adventure um, with a really memorable cast of characters and just just giving you like so much at every given moment to To have a game in an already popular trilogy and to have the third game just blow the other two out of the water even for as good and you know as good as they were i think for a game to go from like more of a linear you know action-adventure rpg um, that's very story, story driven to an open world game, you know, for a series to make that genre leap mid trilogy or like at the end of the trilogy is staggering. And this game did it with flying colors. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that feeling i get when I'd sit over your shoulder watching you play boulders gate and you're just kind of uh-huh. lost in the woods or in the city. And you go from like fighting monsters and creatures in the woods and trying to find, you know, special secrets out there in the wilderness to, the social and political life of being in the city and having to deal with like people in power and, and citizens who are, you know, if like you were to confront them or attack them, it would cause a lot of problems for you and your status in the world. And just the world has that similar, that reactiveness and that organic, like I to, if I think I can do this, this will probably have some sort of inadvertent effect that I can't totally predict. And perhaps maybe not as like granular something like Skyrim because I I couldn't say because I haven't played Skyrim all that much but I just never played a game on this scale and it just I just got lost in it and took a chance on it and was completely overwhelmed by um, the beauty of the world the the dynamic lighting in this game and like even the weather system alone I just loved like riding on Roach my horse as Geralt and just (laughs) going down the road to some bandit camp and just watching as like a storm rolled in and it just totally changed the like drama of the moment and you're just there with the music and you're just a person in the world. You really don't feel like this, like, you know, even though Geralt's a huge badass, you're not like this demigod who can, you know, you can pretty pretty quickly get uh, your ass handed to you in this game if you're not careful. So it really feels like you always have to watch your back and be aware of everything going on around you. Um, one other thing I want to say, at least for right now, is just I think this game is going to influence open world games for years to come. Very similar to how resident evil four was a huge influence on like third person shooters ever since. Um, I just think there's so many things this game has already people have already games have already repeated that this game established and perhaps Skyrim also established as well. But I just think this brand of like seeing RPGs run rampant with what's available to them now is just fascinating and amazing.
1: Well, I've, I've played like a fair amount of the Witcher. Um, obviously you're playing as a specific character but even within that like there's there's like pros and cons to that you know like you can't really even though you do get a lot of freedom like building your witcher build you can't like play as a you can't really play as like a paladin or a cleric or like a wizard or anything you can kind of like do variations on those but um but you know to that end like where you lack in that sort of choice the game is also able to write in like a specific storyline that's much more complex and detailed yeah Um yeah. and your character has a very a much more like specific arc that i think can hit higher highs than something in skyrim because like ultimately in skyrim the ending is like you know the same for whoever you play as really pretty much and No matter, you can play it differently, but like the story is always going to be the same. And, you know, same with The Witcher, but the story with Skyrim is, I feel like a lot less specific and it feels a lot Hmm. more like broad and less tailor-made than to uh, Geralt's story, at least from what I've played of it. Yeah. So I think you do get like more emotional crescendos because you really do like, I don't know, you really become like more invested, I think, the more specific and personal the story is and ironically i think like the wishers story has a lot more potential in that regard like even though you're playing like a set character yeah it's Uh um
0: it's it actually is like really satisfying ripple effects you kind of you really have to pay attention also to the relationships you make in this game it's important who you spend time with in the game um and there's so much to do that you know i naturally did not do some things in the game and they really like, don't let you off the hook. Like if there's something, a part of the world you totally ignored, there will be a lasting ramification that you would have to replay the whole game to like, you know, undo Um, and they felt fair. It felt like, okay, yeah, I guess I like didn't take care of that or I guess I took care of that in the way that I I didn't realize I'd have that ramification and like it did feel reactive and it felt believable and it felt again, fair. Um, and it led to a very satisfying ending that wasn't perfect because it's a very dark, messy world. Um, and you interact with a lot of people, come across a lot of people. It's funny because both its strength and maybe its biggest criticism was just that all the side stuff you could do was almost more compelling than the main campaign. The main campaign's great. But all the side stories, it's so easy to get lost in just doing side quests because they're so, um, they don't last too long and and they really like have a great narrative motivation to them um they they may not be as enjoyable on repeat plays but that first time that narrative really it's like i want to see what happens to this person and i want to They're, they're page turners the same goes for the dlc the dlc is arguably better than i think like at least the second dlc for sure i have foggier memories of the first one but um the blood and wine expansion is arguably i think a lot of people would agree it's the best part of the entire game and it was sort of the like epilogue dlc to this game and it was just Feel so cohesive.
1: Yeah, rare is the game that their DLC is actually <laughs> better than the main game. Yeah, but I think that a lot of the games that are able to pull that off are games that are just they pre- present an incredible core experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely um, which
1: is funny because my number one game, if I can get into it,
0: do it, let's do it
1: drop it is one of is one of those games. So my number one game is a game that I've touched very lightly on in this uh, podcast. But if you've turned into episode 10, uh, you would have some sneaking suspicion that it is a from software game with large HP Lovecraft leanings and a tightly tuned horror Victorian experience, just dripping with dread and terror and all of this awesome macabre set pieces. It is Bloodborne. Bloodborne is... It perhaps didn't change the landscape as much as the other games on this list, but it was a game that felt so personally tailor-made for me that I just could not avoid putting it on this list. Um, And I do think that it it did have an impact, even though it might seem like a very subtle one.
0: Definitely did. It's referenced night and day, I feel.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, it expands, you know, the Dark Souls formula, which had already proven to be very successful. Um, you know, Dark Souls 1 and 2 had come out by this point, um, but it kind of built on that and and instead of, like, sort of parrying and blocking, you have uh, more, like, tempo-based dodging and then you have these trick weapons, um, this absolutely ferocious combat that revolves around attacking after you've been hit. Like, if you get hit, then you can re- regain some of your life by being aggressive. The whole, like game pretty much tries to focus on this theme of aggression and beastie, like sort of like bestiality. Like you're, you're like this ferocious monster and you're just, you, you're you kind of corrupted by this like monster blood in a way. Uh, it's, it's, it just all sort of serves this idea that you're in this like world that's like in, in decline. And I think, you know, the, the thing that I can say about Bloodborne that really paints a picture is uh, so I, I got it for Christmas i started playing it at first i was like "Eh, i don't know this game seems like very gory and like unnecessarily like kind of like grimdark almost like edgy and i was pretty like tired of that stuff by the by this point so i was like "Eh, i don't know if this game i'm gonna like this game and for like i would say the first 10 hours or so i absolutely hated this game wow i just didn't get the appeal i would just keep dying and i would get so frustrated and like you know that's kind of a lot of people's stories is like they start it and they're like oh this is ridiculous it's so punishing i hate it but then you like slowly start to understand like how the game works and you start your mind kind of switches over to and i'm sure andy like playing sekiro you've you've experienced this at this point where your mind your brain like switches and you're like okay i get it now like This is what the game is expecting of me. It's not holding my hand. It's like literally keep up with it. And once you sort of see the game for what it is and like you start to slowly understand how the game works, it becomes like this obsession almost like rise to meet it. By the end of my game uh, experience with this game, it is now one of my top five favorite games of all time. So to go from a game that I literally hated to a game that I think is one of my top five favorite games of all time is is like the highest praise I can give this game. It's a masterclass of abstract storytelling. The lore is unveiled the more you explore and the more you inspect items that you pick up. You really have to work to understand what's going on in this world. It's a masterclass of combat tuning. Um, Each of the trick weapons feels balanced and usable in its own way. I mean, there are better and worse ones, but each one is usable. And ultimately, it comes down to what you feel the most comfortable using and the sort of uh, tempo. And, you know, you really start to um, like acclimate yourself and it becomes almost like they literally become a part of you. And I've seen people use weapons that are not very popular in the community and absolutely decimate other people because they're just so... Keen and understanding of that weapon's abilities, it's really, really cool. I think like the strongest thing is honestly the atmosphere. All of the areas feel complex, nuanced, unique, but they're also varied. Every single area feels like this new, distinct part of a cohesive whole. For a game where you are fairly powerful and capable, it's incredible how I would go into a new area and just feel like a sense of total unease because I'm like, well, I don't know what's in this area. And there were multiple times during the game that I actually got like jumped out of my seat scared because I, you know, would play with headphones on and there'd be like something that would just pop out of nowhere. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, if there's any sort of trend in our lists, I think we are talking a lot about games that have cohesiveness and storytelling design gameplay. And Bloodborne is just an absolute paragon of all of those things coming together um even the writing is is so subtle but so it just sticks with you um i remember you know i I platinumed the game and each of the endings of the game are so bittersweet but like haunting i mean they really stuck with me i thought about the repercussions of all of the endings and they're also stark and like really like pessimistic but also like important i felt very impressed by the repercussions of all the choices that are made in the end um and you know despite my love for this game i think that you know i can admit that it's not for everybody but if you love you know really challenging games or if you love the works of hb lovecraft or any sort of victorian werewolf stuff or yeah. body horror yeah um then i highly highly recommend bloodborne i could not recommend it enough honestly
0: i mean after playing um you know you're i think you're most of the way through Sekiro now is there anything like in in contrast like having played that do you feel any differently about Bloodborne like do you feel any differently about Sekiro like
1: Yeah so like I love I really love Sekiro as well um you know I think in terms of like dressing I think that Bloodborne is obviously more my style but I think the thing about Bloodborne that I prefer I love the vagueness and the mystery of Bloodborne like it is so mysterious your character I don't think ever even speaks but The amount of like lore you can glean from the environments and the items and the amount of work you have to do to figure out what's going on is so fascinating because I could see a player like not caring about any of that stuff and going through it and not having any idea what the game is about, whereas another player could go through it. They could have a like almost like a perfect understanding of what's going on by like just deducing from the environment and the items and the characters, like what their relationships are and what's going on in this world. So for me, the difference... Whereas Sekiro has a more like linear story with like clear cut relationships between characters to a large extent. Mm. Bloodborne is a lot more like subtle and quiet about the things that are going on in the world and you really have to like work. But I think that mystery is so fascinating and it really kept me interested.
0: It's awesome that, you know, um, a game could sneak up on you like that and not only just, you know, find a place, but be like the thing that you you feel most most fond of from this entire decade and uh th- that genre is not necessarily like i don't know maybe not entirely new because it's pulling from a lot of different genres that have already been around but i think it's just that that really unique cocktail of of mechanics and storytelling that's you know it's like feels like you, you found a brand new experience just like you know resident evil introduced you to survival horror or some other game introduced you to rpgs um yeah it's like a totally new avenue uh for gaming for you
1: all right man so I have to I have to know your number one what is it
0: Well it couldn't be um it couldn't be more opposite of what you just said <laughs> It came at the very beginning of this decade its journey by that game company
1: excellent choice it excellent choice
0: there is someday we need to do an episode just on this game we've talked about it i'll save as much as i can for that um because this game is it's so short you know you could probably beat it by the time this episode is done and uh (laughs) and i think that's perfect uh and that's the word i would use to describe this game i think it's perfect I think it is one of the most perfect games I've ever played in my entire life, and it is similar to how Bloodborne is in your top five of all time. This game is in that for me, too. You know, there's a lot of slow, artistic, meditative games on my list, and I think Journey just kind of started it off on that foot um, this decade. This this game got me back into gaming properly, because uh, I saw that it was coming out, and I was very aware of the company behind it. I was very interested in their previous game, Flower, ahead and played it and this game just looks so fascinating to me and it just spoke to all the artistic sensibilities I was trying to go for when I was in art school it just made me feel like I didn't know you could make games like this I didn't know you could just walk around in the desert alone by yourself and you know discover what it means to be alone and both not alone in the world at the same time, it totally redefined what I thought a video game could be at this point in time. And it used so many things that were unique to this console generation. You know, everyone is, for a lot of uh, good reasons, going on and on about Death Stranding and, and how remarkable that game is and how it's groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. And people have joked that it is the first, quote, strand game, the strand genre. Well, a lot <laughs> of people... Nah. I've heard people, and I first thing I thought when I Hell heard nah. Hideo Kojima say this was, uh, "Stop for a second. Journey was the first Strand game. If you're going to be oh, technical, absolutely, it 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 is. It kind of achieves almost what everything Death Stranding achieved in 50 hours in three hours. And yeah. I'm not trying to throw any shade at Death Stranding. I, I loved a lot of that game for as bizarre and beautiful sure. and crazy as it is. But I <laughs> it reminded me so much of Journey and why I love Journey. I've never played a game this decade more than Journey because it's so easy to pick up. It's so easy to share with people. I literally would recommend this game to everyone, gamer or not. I think my mom, I had her play it at one point, and even she jumped around in the desert for a little while, didn't beat it. But I've shown this (laughs) game to so many people, and they just finish it, just like you finished Sayonara Wild Hearts. And I think everything I said about that game, you could apply to this. But it's just such a universal game makes you think about like what you leave behind for someone else or for other people and what, you, how you spend your time uh, with other people Definitely. in the review. Polygon was like, if we could put a game on the golden disc that was sent into space a long time ago, this would be <laughs> the game that we would put on it is like, you know, cause you don't need any language to understand it. Um, again, a, right. a similar thing, but it's just, you. you've played it quite a few times. I think, yeah
1: honestly like that's a journey was a game i considered putting on my list but i had a feeling you were going to put it on your list (laughs) so i was just like i'm gonna let andy have this one because again you introduced me to this game so uh, i totally agree man i don't need a baby in a bottle i just need a scarf and i'm good to go
0: (laughs) yeah i mean like it's exactly (laughs) that though because i mean the game is is so few mechanics you know some of the a lot of the games on our list have very few mechanics um all you can do is run and jump and then you see someone else and it's like what There's another person in this game and you think it's an NPC and it's not. And it's a real person. And being near that person actually allows you to jump indefinitely. So it's like a beautiful metaphor for if, you know, the more connected you are to a person and the more you stick together, the more you can achieve sooner. And it's just like a delightful experience to just be able to run around this desert that seemed like this barren oasis you know you can do it with someone else now and the music that was scored by austin wintry it just all swells together like there's those moments when you come out into that pink desert with the green sky oh, yeah. or you're sliding oh, down yeah. sliding down the golden sand dunes and the camera pans and you're going sideways and suddenly it's like a side scroller um
1: i uh yeah i described the ending of that game as like the closest experience to like what heaven would actually be like <laughs> <laughs> it kind of <laughs> and is it's like Oh my god. The way that like I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but the way that the game ends is just like everything you've been working for is given to you like freely and you're just able to like and go go buck wild and uh the way they do it is just absolutely yeah, incredible. It, it's a game that everybody should go play. Yeah. It's I'm so sure you'd cheap. recommend it to everybody, Andy. I would highly recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. an excellent game.
0: So even though it gets gets you to think that way and puts you in an emotional headspace and and really captivates you and keeps you there. It's still fun. It's so fun to just run around the desert and slide in the sand and jump in the air. and it's kind of genreless. It's just it is it's about the journey. It could only have happened, I think, this decade with all the like the clever use of the internet and the way that it only lets you positively interact with people. They had arms in the game for a while for your characters and they realized that people, were being distracted by use of the arms and trying to push things and pull things and pick things up and they even removed <laughs> that so that you just focused on walking forward and getting to the next point wow that's just crazy little design that's choices cool. like that like little kernels of like that one change not only gave the game a very distinct style and its character design it kind of made the game as special as it was and uh, yeah again just couldn't recommend it more it's the game I think about when I think about this decade as a whole and nothing else to say you just got to go try it and see it for yourself
1: excellent excellent number one man uh, where do i what do i what do i even say i mean there have been so many advancements in gaming this decade has been just massively influential i am incredibly excited to see what the next decade holds
0: yeah me too i was just so surprised by this decade like i felt like we both went into it feeling like uh maybe we're past video games and then all these games came out that we all kind of, we both, you know, individually I think took big chances on and it was like, okay, these, a lot of these aren't franchises I've ever played before. A lot of these offer opportunities that haven't really been explored much in video games. A lot of these are using new technology that we're not as familiar with. Um, And it was just very exciting and just kind of caught us off guard. And I love that it, it wasn't what we expected at all. And we, we walked away, uh, having a lot to love. All right. Um, well, Alex, thanks for going on this, no pun intended, journey with me. Uh, going down memory lane <laughs> nice. one last time. Uh, nice. We're waving, waving in the rear view mirror saying thank you and uh, we'll see you in 2020, everyone. It's a lot to think about yeah. and talk about.
1: Yeah, here we go, man. New decade. Happy 2020, everybody. We'll
0: see you next time. Peace. Today's episode was opened by music from friend of the show, Mono Memory, and also featured music from the official soundtracks to each game as they were referenced. If you enjoyed yourself, we'd love to hear from you on social media at screen looking one word on either Instagram or Twitter. You can also leave us a rating and or review from wherever you tune into podcasts. We'd much appreciate it. Just a friendly heads up that Alex and I are going to be taking a bit of a reprieve to catch up on life, but we hope to be back soon until then. Take care and happy gaming.